Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. If you want my notes for today, you can open the YouVersion Bible app and go to where it says more or events, and you can follow along with me there. Or just open the Faith, Christ, Faith Christian Center app, and my notes will be the fourth link on there. One of the things I announced ahead of time is that I'm teaching two different series at the same time. So 9 a.m. gets one series, but 11.30 gets another series. At 9, 9 a.m. today, we talked about beach life, life on vacation. We talked about learning how to rest in God and what does that really mean. So if you want to uh, look at that message, we'll put it up on YouTube later on today as well as on our app, and you can access that. We're going to do another series today at our 11.30 experience called Ruins, the Harvest You Don't Want. Ruins, the Harvest You Don't Want. So open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. So we're opening a new series today. And so if you need a title for part one of this new series, it's going to be called Fire and Pineapples. Fire and Pineapples. Like, Pastor, what does that have to do with anything? Give me some time. You'll see. Fire and pineapples. You know, a couple weeks ago, I preached in Detroit at FX Church, and my message up there was called, what was it? It was broken uh, Fitbits and Broken Controllers. And I'm like, what in the world is he talking about? But by the end, they're like, oh, man, yeah, we got it. We got it. So today, fire and pineapples. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, one of our text scriptures we used in our last series. It says, while the earth remains, the earth is still here. Seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So one of the things, seed time and harvest is a law. We looked at in our last series that we know it governs finances. We never governs a lot of spiritual truths. But the law of seed time and harvest is an eternal principle. It is still in operation today. It rules more than natural farming practices and finances this spiritual law affects everything in existence. The law of seed, time, and harvest affects everything in existence. Go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. The law of seed, time, and harvest affects everything in existence. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Another, something else from our previous series, but we're going to focus on it a different way. The King James says it this way. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You know, when you read verse 6, he's talking about finances here. But when he says whatsoever, it's an open-ended law. That whatever a person sows, that's going to reap. No, we don't believe in karma because this was here before karma. It is the law of seed, time, and harvest. Whatever you sow, you will reap. The New Living Translation says it this way. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. So according to this verse, what is the justice of God? Sowing and reaping. The justice of God is sowing and reaping. A lot of people say things like, well, God did this to me because I messed up, or God did that because I sinned, and God punished me. And actually, 
it really wasn't God. It was just your harvest. A lot of people say, well, God punished me. No, God didn't. God punished Jesus, so he didn't have to punish you. So when things happen in your life, you say, oh, God did it to me. It wasn't him. And sometimes they're not even seen. It's just the harvest of what you sowed. You cannot mock the justice of God. Even when you look at things in the Old Testament, and some of the word, when you look at it in English, it says, well, God did this, the Lord did that. And when he studied it out, it's not that God directly did it, but because it's his law and his justice in the earth, it's indirectly as a result of what he said. So when it says, well, the Lord did this, it wasn't the Lord exactly did it. It was the Lord put in the operation before the world began, the law of seed, time, and harvest. And he declared, if you sow something, you're going to reap this. And so a lot of Christians, people say, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Good people sow bad seed. So well, I don't know why it happened. They're such a good person. Yeah, they may be a great person. They may love Jesus. They may be filled with the Holy Ghost. They're going to heaven when they die. But while they're on earth, they sow some seeds they shouldn't have. And things showed up in their lives later as a result of it. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Chapter 6, verse 8 says, For he that sows to his flesh. When it's talking about flesh here, it's not just talking about your natural body. It's talking about the fallen, sinful human nature. The fallen, sinful human nature. When we sinned in Adam, and Adam and Eve sinned, they passed down to us the fallen nature. You say, well, I'm saved. I don't have a fallen nature. No, when you got saved, your spirit became brand new. It didn't change your soul, and it didn't change your body. That's why you can have Christians or believers behaving badly. They're, they're saved. They're going to heaven. But they're acting a hot mess. You know, we like to sing, sing songs like, well, I came, I got saved, and, you know, my hands were new, my feet were new, my weave was new, I felt brand new. We sing all these things. And it's nice. It feels good, but it's not biblically accurate. Your body did not change when you got saved. Your mind didn't change when you got saved. That's why we say you have to renew your mind with the Word of God. Because if you thought like a heathen before you got saved, you're going to walk away still thinking about a heathen unless you change the way you're thinking. That's why there are some Christians who you can't tell the difference between them and the world. You cannot mock the justice of God. Whatever you plant, you will harvest. You will reap what you sow, good or bad. So we saw about the flesh, we saw about the fallen, sinful human nature. So he that sows to his fallen or sows through his fallen, sinful human nature shall of that sinful, fallen human nature reap corruption. That word corruption means decay, destruction, or ruin. So those that sow to their fallen, sinful human nature shall reap from that sinful human nature, fallen nature, decay, destruction, and ruin. Notice and say, where is this coming from? Your own nature. It's because of what you sowed to that own nature. So that's why we're calling this series Ruins, the harvest you don't want. You don't want every harvest. You want the good harvest. Because another word for harvest is simply judgment. Judgment is not good or bad. It depends on what you did. If the judgment is in your favor, it's good. You're like, oh, yes, I got judged. Thank God. But if it's on, not for your favor, you're kind of upset about it. It's just another word for harvest. Whatever you sow, you will reap. 
Because it says here, but he that sows to the Spirit or by the Spirit or through the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap life everlasting. And it's not talking about you being saved. Because if you ask Jesus to come to your heart, you're saved. It's talking about the quality of life. Life as God has it. How does God have life? It's good. It's joyful. It's victorious. It's healed. It's healthy. It's whole. It's filled with joy. It's not depressing. It's prosperous. It's not broke. That's the life of God. But if you want to receive that life from God, you have to sow towards that life. Because there's a lot of people who say, well, this faith stuff don't work. I've been sowing financially, and I'm still broke, but you might have sold some other stuff to human nature that killed your financial harvest. Well, I believe in healing. I say my healing scriptures every day. I pray in tongues every day. But if you still eat a mess, your body's going to be a mess. My wife and I were talking about this on vacation. We're talking about certain things that, you know, happen to people's body. And I said, you know, I said, okay, I'm quite, con- I'm quite convinced that a lot of things I lay hands on is because people did it to themselves. So there's a lot of people who get healed at church every Sunday. Not because it was the attack of the enemy. Not because something in the air that they just happened to breathe in, it wasn't their fault. Not because, you know, they were injured in a car accident or injured in some type of work situation. There's a lot of people who get healed because of stuff they did to themselves. Either through stress and worry, either through bad eating practices or bad workout practices. What's a bad workout practice? Not working out. So a lot of people have sold those seeds and the harvest stuff that happens in their body. Go back a chapter, Galatians 5. Let's look, give a little more details. What is sowing to the flesh? Because I want you to enjoy the good life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the Amplified Version, I've come that you might have and enjoy life to the full, till it overflows. Jesus wants you to enjoy your life. But if you keep sowing to your fallen sinful nature, you're not going to enjoy anything. And he said, well, God did this to me. No, it wasn't him. Well, Satan did it. It wasn't even Satan. It was you. You're bad all by yourself. Satan's like, I don't got to bother you. You're fine. Cool. I'll check in a couple years. Galatians 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk or live in the Spirit. This word walk also means habitually make decisions that line up with the Spirit. Make living in the Spirit your lifestyle. Make decisions the Spirit wants you to make. And if you do that on a regular basis, you will not fulfill the lust. The word lust here means desire for what is forbidden. It's desire for the things the Spirit says you're not supposed to have. But if you make decisions that line up with the Spirit, you're not going to do what is forbidden. Verse 17 says, For the flesh lust against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Now, let me give you a little Greek background. I'm not a Greek scholar. I have a lot of friends who are Greek scholars, and one of them I'm bringing in a little while. But when you look in the Greek, there's not capital or lowercase. So when it comes to the word spirit, by the context, you have to determine, is he talking about the Holy Spirit of God, or is he talking about your human spirit? So let's look at this verse. It's for the flesh lust against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. The word lust means to desire, to have desires that are opposed to something. So the spirit and the flesh are fighting. How many know if the Holy Spirit fought your flesh, he'd win? You ain't strong enough to hold off him. So it's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about your human spirit. You're born again. You're saved. Your human spirit wants to do the right thing. Your body doesn't. If you let your body go the way it wants to do, you die early. 
Some of you have trained your body so it doesn't do as many bad things, but you know, you wake up at 3 a.m. and your body says, you remember that pie you still have downstairs? Wouldn't that be good right now with some ice cream? Some extra caramel on top? Maybe some whipped cream? And, and it keeps going on and on. It's like, you know what? You can Uber eat some french fries right now. You don't even have to go out. Just pick up your phone and put it in. Your body wants stuff that's not always good for it. You know, the thing is, we have to tell our kids, no, you need to eat your vegetables. No, you don't need to eat that. That's not good for you. Then we go eat the same thing we told them not to eat. So the thing is, if we put laws in effect for our kids, maybe we should live by those own. Oh, okay. <laughs> so your human spirit has desires that oppose to your sinful nature. And the sinful nature, nature has desires that are opposed to your spirit. And they're fighting, and that's why you cannot do the things that you want to. Because there's a war within you. Even Paul talked about this in Romans. He says, the things that I want to do, I don't do because my body wants to do this. I, my spirit wants to do this, and I'm fighting back and forth. And so sometimes you don't do the right thing, not because you're not a good person, not because you're not saved. It's just there's a war going on the inside. Your body is fighting your spirit. Your spirit's fighting your body. And you think, well, who makes the decision? Who wins? Does the spirit win? Well, it depends. Well, does the body win? It depends. What does it depend on? The person who makes the decision. Well, who makes the decision in the spirit versus the body? Your soul. Your soul, remember, you are a spirit. You have a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. And you live in this physical body. So part of your soul is your mind. Your mind is the decision maker. So if you renew your mind to the word of God, you will make decisions that line up with your spirit. But if you never put the word of God in your mind, you never think on it, you never read on it, your mind's going to side with your body. And that's how you can be a believer that behaves badly because you still think like the world and your body's still trying to live like the world even though you're saved on the inside. Verse 18, but if you're led of the spirit, going back to the Holy Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh. The word works here means the actions of the flesh. What the flesh produces. So if you want to see if you're being led by the Spirit or being led by your fallen human nature, if you want to know the difference, Paul is about to help you out. So this, he says, you get to later on in the chapter and talk about the fruit of the Spirit, that's what your spirit wants to do. But before he gets to the famous fruit of the Spirit in verse 22, 23, and 24, he's going to talk about the works or the productions of your flesh. He says the works of the flesh, where the flesh produces are manifest, means it's apparent. It's plainly or easily recognized. You don't need a deep biblical degree to know, is this my spirit or is this my body? You don't even have to intercede for five hours to get clarity from Jesus. Paul is about to help you out. Here's what the flesh does. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. We're going to stop with those four because that's enough for today. Adultery, we know what that is. Well, I want to draw your attention to the word for fornication. It's the Greek word pornea. It means sexual immorality, which is sexual wickedness or sexual twistedness. Wickedness just means twistedness, meaning this part that's right the rest is twisted. And so this word from the Greek, not Carrick Butler's translation of the Greek, me reading the Greek actually said, it means having sex to someone you are not married to, 
homosexuality, lesbianism, pornography, incest, and bestiality. The Greek word pornea means having sex with someone you're not married to, homosexuality, lesbianism, pornography, incest, and bestiality. The word uncleanness, the next word, includes impure or lewd sexual thoughts and actions. So it's not just actions, it's thoughts here. The word lasciviousness means unbridled lust, promiscuity, the absence of sexual restraint. Unbridled lust, promiscuity, the absence of sexual restraint. So the first four things Paul lists as productions of the fallen human nature or the flesh are sex sins. Now, what is sin? Oh, what's the deep definition of sin? It just means missing the mark. It means God wants you to do this, but you do that. That's sin. So not only are these actions of the flesh, this is sowing to the flesh, which Paul says in chapter 6 produces ruin and destruction. So you may be saved and still get ruined in your life because you're sowing to the fallen nature. As I said, your spirit wants one thing, your body wants another. And unless you make a decision to line up with the Bible, you will follow your flesh. As I said, one of the reasons Christians behave badly is because they don't renew their mind. Your mind has to be renewed and changed by the Word of God. So what you think will determine what you do. Say, what I think will determine what I do. See, the thing is, we live in a hyper-sexualized society. Sex is everywhere. You know, there was a phrase, sex sells, but then there was so much sex everywhere, they kind of clothed people up so they can actually sell clothes. It is a hyper-sexualized culture. And see, the thing is, it reminded me of pineapples. Like, how in the world does that remind you of pineapples? Now, I was listening to a message, and I learned this fact, that, you know, a few hundred years ago, Pineapples were rare. You know, it was in the Americas. It was here. But it wasn't in Europe and other places of the world. And so when people came over here and went back to Europe, one of the things they brought back was pineapples. And it became super famous in Europe. To the point, like, it was the pre... If you wanted to show you had money, you would get a pineapple. He's like, well, someone said that the pineapples could cost $8,000. So the thing is, people would eat pineapples. They would get a pineapple and set it in their room and have house viewing parties of the pineapple. They'd invite people, I was like, yes, look at my pineapple. Isn't it great? What does it taste like? I'm not, I'm not tasting this. This is to look at. So when you look at, when you go to Europe and look at some of the old churches or palaces, you see pineapples on them. That's why, because it was a symbol of luxury. It was something rare. It was something exclusive. It's not something that everyone had access to. But skip forward a couple hundred years, and the Dole Company, and a whole lot of other things that happened. We've gone from a rare pineapple to pineapple tidbits. You know, when I was looking for my props, there was pineapples, there was pineapple tidbits, pineapple juice, dried pineapple, pineapple chunks, you have everything. You got, we went from rare and exclusive to pineapple tidbits and pineapple chunks. It's kind of like how our society views sex. 
We've taken it from to be reserved for that one person. Now it's everywhere. Anyone can get it. Swipe left, swipe right. Oh, I'm trying to find the right person for my life. No, you just need a booty call. That's all it is. If you're like, oh, no, he went on vacation. He came back. There's all these things. It's everywhere. It's a new generation. You know, and the same device that has the Bible, they can look at porn. If they want to, they can put the app right next to each other. We went from it being rare and exclusive, something you're supposed to have that one person you're married to, to now it is everywhere and available at all times. Pineapples. Our thinking about sex has changed. And as long as you think like the world thinks about sex, your body will do what the world does. You have to renew your mind and make a decision. Am I going to think about sex the way God does? The way the Bible says, or am I going to line up to whatever is popular in the culture? It's all about your mind. You have to decide what are you going to think. God's not going to make you decide. You have to decide. See, God is very clear about the consequences or the harvest of sex sins. Remember I said it's sowing seeds. It's not something we should play with or see how close we can get to it. Hebrews 13, 4 in the New Living Translation says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral. Remember we said immorality is sexual twistedness, and we defined it that already. And those who commit adultery. So what is the judgment of sexual sins? You reap what you sow. It's not God standing over you, striking with a lightning bolt. Oh, God judged that person because they were sexually immoral. No, you reap what you sow. So once again, you have to decide. Will you think about sex the way God does or the way the world does? Because God is very clear about the harvest that comes from it. And it's not something we should play with or get close to. Because Proverbs 6, 27, New Living Translation says, Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he? He's like, well, why is he turn it on? Because I'm not going to become a meme. So, oh, it turns on and something happens. I'll be everywhere by tomorrow. I'm not going viral because I caught something on fire at the church. But let's say I did like this. Could I put it real, real close to me and not let my clothes catch on fire? And it'd be a miracle if I didn't get burned myself. But that's how we think about fire. But when it comes to sex sins, we get as close as we can get to it. Well, is this sin? Is this not sin? You're going to get burned. See, fire is not evil, it's not horrible, it's not bad. In the right context, it's helpful. It's warming. It's good. But when you take fire out of its proper context, it is destructive. It brings harm. It's dangerous, just like sex. If I had a bottle of bleach, I thought about this example today too. You know, bleach is good for cleaning and all these different things. But it's not good for you to drink. But if you take things out of its proper intended use, abuse is inevitable. God intended sex for marriage between a man and a woman, taking out of its context, there will be abuse, there will be destruction, there will be harmful consequences. And not because God hates the people who are doing things that he doesn't want them to do. The law was set up before people ever got here. Whatever you sow, 
you will reap. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. Fire and pineapples. It's all about what you think. You can't let the news make up your mind for you because they don't even always know what they're talking about. They change all the time. You got different organizations. You know, I won't say their names, but one is clearly for one political party. And one is clearly for the other political party. And the other one is definitely for one of the other ones. And they just go back and forth. So it's like, okay, these are just political news machines now. And then don't, please don't make up your mind by Facebook memes. Do you know anybody can put something on Facebook? You know, I researched this out a couple years ago during the election about what Russia actually hacked. They hacked and began to create Facebook profiles and Facebook stories and created things that actually didn't happen or twisted how they happened to specifically target black people. And after they created it on Facebook, they went in before the United Nations and almost said verbatim what a video said. So you're thinking that you're finding solid news sources. Anybody can post something. Don't let Facebook make up your mind. Don't let social media make up your mind. Don't let governments make up your mind. Don't let the news make up your mind. You need to make a decision. Are you going to follow God? Or are you going to do what everyone else does? It's up to you. What harvest do you want? Do you want the abundant life? Or do you want ruins? See, 1 Corinthians 6, start with the last part, verse 13, says, Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God has both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Know you not when you, that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that the one who is joined to a harlot is, oh, what's a harlot? Whore. Whoremonger. Oh. For two, says he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee sexual immorality. Flee sexual twistedness. No, he didn't say rebuke it. Pray against it. Speak against it. Intercede, supplicate against it. Hold your faith against it. Run the opposite way. This is the only thing God tells you to run from. Run from sexual immorality. He didn't say resist it. Get far away from it. Not as close as you can get to it. Because if sexual immorality is a fire outside of its intended context, it is dangerous, which means you have to create your own boundaries. The Bible is not going to give you all the boundaries you need. You need to make boundaries for yourself so you can stay in line with the way of the Spirit of God. So that means you say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't say I can't talk to someone at 3 a.m. No, it doesn't, but that's just stupid. So, well, it's not a sin, but it's stupid. Hey, what you doing? You know how that conversation ends up. With you repenting a few hours later. So stop talking to them at 3 a.m. Set your own boundaries. Make your own decisions. Because if you're going to value living for God, that means you set your own boundaries. Don't expect God to make you do A lot of Christians are like, well, if God wants me, he's going to make me. No. God's a gentleman. He will not force you to do anything. He will not make you to do anything. That's not his way. That's not his style. You have to make the decision what you're going to do. It says, every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication or sexual immorality sins against his own body. So if you get involved in sexual twistedness, you're going to hurt yourself. You're sowing a seed 
that will bring a harvest that will hurt your physical body. It's not God doing it, it's you. And the thing is about seed time and harvest, people think, well, I sin and nothing happens. You sow an apple seed, you're not going to get an apple tree tomorrow. That tree won't produce apples for years upon years. That's how people do stuff when they're younger and it doesn't show up to the hit 50. Like, where did this came from? I got my life together. You know, that's why you got to stop telling guys, well, sow your wild oats and then come back to Jesus. No, you sow some sin and it's going to hit you. He says, don't mock the justice of God. Whatever you plant, you will harvest. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you? Who have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God, make God famous in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. So run from sexual immorality. Don't sow that seed. Put yourself distance between you and it. Create your own boundaries. Keep or guard yourself from falling into sexual sin. Don't be the man of Proverbs chapter 7. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 7. I just love this chapter. I especially loved it when I was a youth pastor. Because I just read it, and they're like, well, that's in the Bible? No, keep reading. Proverbs chapter 7, so y'all don't think I'm making this up. Proverbs chapter 1. And I'm going to translate some stuff from the King James, because sometimes we read in the King James, like, oh, what does that mean? So I'm going to bring it to 2019. My son, keep my words. Lay up my commandments within you. Put the word in your heart. Keep my commandments and live. And my law as the apple of your eye. Focus on that. Put it on your fingers. Write them upon the table of your heart. What is he saying? Keep the word in front of you so that you can live it. Say unto wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your cousin. So these are things you want to keep close, wisdom and understanding. Because if you keep wisdom and understanding close to you and the word of God in front of you, it shall keep you from the strange woman. What is a strange woman? The person you're not married to. The promiscuous one. You know about that song about 10 years ago? Promiscuous girl. Oh, no, I'm going to sing. I'm going to lose y'all. It'll keep you from the promiscuous girl. What does it say? From the stranger which flatters with her words. Slide into your DM. You got a man? You got a woman? These days you got both? So notice what the writer of Proverbs says. He says, For at the window of my house I looked through the window casement, and I behold a bunch of stupid people. And I discerned among them, among the young stupid people, a person who was the stupidest of the stupidest. I found the most stupid person in the group. He was void of understanding. He left the stupid people, and he passed through the street near her corner and went the way to her house. It was getting dark in the evening in the black and dark night. And behold, there met a woman who was dressed like a hoe and subtle of heart. Parentheses, she is loud and stubborn. Her feet doesn't abide in her own house. No, she's without and walking down Peach Street. <laughs> and lies in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him and said to him, I have peace officers with me. I've paid my vows. What does that mean? I've got a lot of money. I got a lot of food. I'm about to cook you a real good dinner. Therefore, I've come to meet you. I've been looking for a man just like you. I've been looking for you, and I found you. I've got my bed set up. 
I put all these tapestries, you know, this perfume in it. Come, let us have sex all night. Let's fill ourselves with love. For my husband's not home. Lord have mercy. He is gone on a long journey. He took a lot of money with him. He won't be back for a while. With her much fair speech, she calls him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goes after her straight away because he's the stupid of the stupids. <laughs> as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till a dark strike through his liver. As a bird hastens to a snare not knowing that it's for his life. So he says, this person's heading for a trap that's going to kill him and he doesn't even know it. Pay attention to me now, O children. Learn from the words of my mouth. Let not your heart decline to her ways. Don't go astray in her paths. For she has cast down many wounded. Many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell. Going down to the chambers of death. Remember what Romans 6.23 says? For the wages of sin is death. Even under grace, which were under grace, thank God. The wages of sin is still death. But the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So notice how Proverbs paints the picture of the harvest of sex sin. Chains, death, and hell. Don't be the person in this chapter. Because although he's speaking about a man, you can still apply it to a woman. So don't you ladies like, see guys? No. See you? <laughs> Avoid the harvest of death and ruins. Guard yourself from all sexual immorality. See, another form of harvest of sex sins is that the consequences of your actions manifest in the lives of your descendants even to the third and fourth generation. That it's not just you who gets the consequences of your sexual nastiness. It'll show up in the lives of your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren, which means there are kids being born today who are born with fights that it wasn't their responsibility to fight. They passed it down. It's the consequence of iniquity. It affects future generations. It creates cycles. And this kid is born into a cycle, not knowing how he got there. See, if you're someone who's battling a harvest because of someone else's actions, you plead the blood of Jesus, and you fight and win. It's not your fault, but it is your fight and you can win. Now, one of the things I want you to understand is sex sins do not begin with actions, but with your thought life. Before it's an action, it's in your mind. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Sex sins do not thought, start with actions. It starts with your mind. It's like, I don't know what happened, you know. Blame it on the goose, I blame it on honey, I blame it on the alcohol. <laughs> we'll get into that later, but it didn't just start with you drank and then you did it. It was some thoughts there before. Sounds like, man, we need to limit his vacations. Second <laughs> <laughs> Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we live in the fleshly body, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly or carnal of this physical body, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, so every thought, to the obedience of Christ. That means that what's a thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? Anything that disagrees with what God has to say about a subject. So that means you make a decision, I'm not going to think that way. You must guard what you think about. Well, how do I do that? Because the thing is, having a thought is not a sin. Because Satan does have access to your mind. He'll fire an arrow and see if it sticks. You know, how many of you ever had a random thought that entered your mind? He's like, I've never thought about that before. I never watched anything about that. It just entered your mind. He's like, oh, that's crazy. And then it left, right? Satan was trying to see if it could stick. See how easy it was to rebuke him? He was like, no, that's crazy. I ain't going to do that. The same with everything else. You have to make a decision what you're going to think about. You know, I brought in a good friend of mine last year to preach. And he said, when you have a thought that comes into your mind, you need to put your hand over it and say, that's not my thought. And I brought her in, and she told her testimony about how she was molested and abused at a young age and how the effects of that really didn't show up until she became an older teenager in her early 20s and what that drove her to, to the place that they locked her up in a mental institution. And she talked about her pathway to freedom, how she would have a thousand thoughts that were evil and ungodly at least a day, but as she kept going, that's not my thought. That's not my thought. It got down to one day she only said a hundred times, then to ten, then barely at all. What did she do? She took those thoughts captive. Because if you take the thought captive, it can never become an action. And on that subject, you know, Job 31.1, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at someone. Another translation says, I'm not going to address, undress them with my eyes. See, what you allow in your, your eyes and your ears will become thoughts. So just because it's not a sin to watch certain shows on TV doesn't mean you need to. Well, it's not wrong for me to listen to this. I didn't say it's wrong, but it doesn't mean it's for you. Because whatever you keep seeing and whatever you keep hearing will form thoughts in your mind. And unchecked thoughts, continually thought about, become mentalities or strongholds. And as the mentality and the strongholds are allowed to stay, they lead to words. And you start talking that way. See, Satan is after your thoughts and your words. Because after you start talking that way, you're going to start acting that way. And after you start acting the way a good while, it becomes a habit. And after it's a habit for a long time, it becomes a lifestyle. But the lifestyle could have been stopped at the thoughts. See, also something dangerous about this whole process, sometime after it becomes words and actions, depending on what it is, there's something called an unclean spirit. And since we're talking about sex sins, remember we said the word unclean is talking about impure and thought and action. These are lewd spirits. These are sexual spirits. After you start going in that direction and thinking that way and talking that way and behaving that way, the unclean spirit sees an open door and moves into your house. So now it's not just your thought life you're battling, you're battling a demon. And see, Christians cannot be possessed because if you're saved, the Holy Ghost lives on the inside of you. He doesn't take roommates. You can't be possessed if you're a Christian, but you can be oppressed. You can be depressed. Spirits can't cling onto your body and your mind because you open the door for them. And so now you're trying to resist the thoughts, but something else is backing those thoughts is a demonic power. It's an unclean spirit. The more you behave in a way that's against God, 
is the way you open the door more and more for unclean spirits to come into your house. Because even Jesus said, if they leave and you cleaned up your house and you open the door again, he's going to come back with seven demons worse than themselves. There are people walking around who are general house parties. It's not just them who shows up, about eight other people with them. And so we diagnose. Some people actually do have mental problems that are diagnosed. And thank God for a therapist and doctors who specialize in the mind. I brought you a doctor last week. Thank God for them. Because there are some that are physical or mental issues. But there's some things that are actually demons. And you can't counsel out a demon. You can't drug out a demon. Their body may not be able to be, do anything, but the demon's still there. And it's because these thoughts and these actions and these habits and the lifestyle open the door. You cannot mock the justice of God. Whatever you plant, you will harvest. Please do not sow and plant for demons. Because they will take you up on your offer. See, this is similar to the man with the unclean spirit in Mark chapter 5. So let's go there and begin to close. As I just said, the word unclean is related to sexual sins. So as we looked at Mark chapter 5, the man in this chapter, the master spirit in him, was a spirit of sexual immorality. Which meant this man didn't just begin as possessed. Even though one thing I'll tell you about unclean spirits, when you read through the gospel accounts, a lot of times they target children. See, one of the most frequent demons Jesus dealt with was the unclean spirit. And look at how many times there were children possessed with unclean spirits. Jesus asked the father, how long has it been this way? Since he was a child. The Syrophoenician woman, my daughter is possessed with this unclean spirit. So they do target children. That's why, parents, you have to be protective of what you allow your kids to see, who you allow them to be around. It doesn't matter if they're family. It doesn't mean they need to be around your child. Your child sees a picture of them. Well, who is that? Somebody Jesus loves, someone you'll never meet. You have to protect them. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gadarenes. And just for the people who are Bible students, this is not a Jewish area. This is a very Roman area. This is a very Gentile area. There are some Jews there, but there's not a lot of them. It is the area of Decapolis. And when, he was, and when Jesus was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Notice where this possessed man was living. Among the tombs. And no one could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him, which means society tried. This Gentile society had tried. They tried to counsel him, it didn't work. If they were today, they tried to drug him, it didn't work. So they chained him up, let's just lock him away. And he would break through the locks and break out everywhere. Nobody could tame him. So now he's living among the tombs, a, a literal haunted house. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying and cutting himself. He's bringing, the spirit brings attention to itself all the time. When he looked at how it would throw people to the ground or it's yelling, it's bringing attention to itself. The unclean spirit loves to bring attention to itself. And notice what also he's doing, is tormenting him. The guy was cutting himself with stones. See, cutting's not new. 
But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran. This man knew his deliverance was here. He ran and worshiped him. But then the demon cried out with a loud voice, says, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I assure you by God that you torment me not. Why? He knew who Jesus was, and he didn't think Jesus had the authority to do it because he's the son of God. He didn't realize he was the son of man. So he's trying to say, Jesus, I know who you are. You can't mess with me. This is my territory. This is my area. For he said unto them, so Jesus already said, when this dude is running towards him, Jesus said, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus had already talked to it. Now, can you imagine this situation? Because this man is not crying. He is crying. He is loud. He is driven out of his mind. He is naked. He is bleeding. He has chains flying everywhere. He is running at Jesus. You know what some of the disciples are probably doing? Time to get back on the boat. <laughs> Woo! Didn't know this was waiting for us on the beach, Jesus. Let, come on, Jesus. Let's go. Let's go. But Jesus standing there, unmoved, and says, what is your name? Now, this is not general practice. If you meet someone possessed, no, you are not supposed to ask it his name. You only ask his name if the Holy Ghost says so. Don't start. It's like, ooh, let me find a possessed person. I want to learn some demons' names. Don't do that. Please don't. But the only reason he didn't remember, Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. So the father told him to do it. And we learned something interesting here because the demon replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. So this is the master spirit, the unclean spirit talking and he's informing Jesus because legion means thousands. There are thousands of demons going in and out around this man, possibly up to 6,000. And he's trying to intimidate Jesus now. says, oh, you might handle one of us, but not all of us. But Jesus wouldn't let up. So legion begged that he would not send them away out of the country. He liked this area. Now there was near there unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. So it's multiple demons talking out of this man's mouth. Multiple voices are coming out. Don't send us away. Let us go to the pigs. Let's go into the pigs. Let's go into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000. 2,000 pigs said, no, we ain't taking these demons. We out. And they that fed the swine, the shepherds, ran, wouldn't you? Because they're watching everything goes down. They see the haunted house run at Jesus. They used to hear him scream to freak them out, but they still had to take care of their pigs. They see Jesus tell them to go because they hear all the demons talking through the guy, and they leave towards the pigs, and all your pigs run off the cliff. You ain't staying. They ran back into the city and told everybody what happened. And so the city came out. And when they got there, they saw this man that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Why? That master spirit, the unclean spirit, held the whole region in fear. See, demons are real. They have personalities. And this personality was a personality of fear. And he ruled the countryside. It was a chief demon over there and kept that area in fear. And it taught them fear. Now, although the demons are gone, they're still programmed to be afraid of everything. And they were afraid. And they saw it, told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerned the swine. And they begged Jesus the deliverer to leave. And you know what Jesus did? He left. He's a gentleman. He's not going to make you do anything. He's not going to make himself stay somewhere. He's not wanted. But the man that was possessed with the devil 
prayed or begged Jesus that he might stay with them. He said, hey, you have this crew with you. Let me stay with you too. Howbeit Jesus didn't allow him, but said unto him, go home to your friends, to your crew, to your family, and tell them how great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to preach in Decapolis, that's ten cities, how great things Jesus had done for him, and all did marvel. He preached so well that when you look at this a couple chapters later, when Jesus comes back there, the people meet Jesus when he's coming off the boat. They're bringing him someone who couldn't hear, couldn't see. Now, instead of running from Jesus, telling him to leave, they heard this man preach on compassion which is love in action or mercy. He went and told his friends, Jesus had mercy on me. You knew how I was, but I'm not that person anymore because the Lord Jesus had mercy on me. He kept telling people, Jesus has mercy. Jesus has love. Jesus has compassion. He is merciful. He kept saying, mercy, mercy, mercy. So when all the region heard about the mercy, they heard the one who had mercy came back. The son of David was back. The one who had the sure mercies of David was back. And they met him with someone who couldn't hear and couldn't talk. And Jesus healed him. And they said, this man does all things well. They went from a group of people who pushed Jesus away to a region that said he does all things well. Because one man told his testimony about the mercy of God. See, you may have been a person who has sown seeds of ruin by living in sexual sin. You may be experiencing the ruin and destruction that resulted from sexual sin. Your life may be in ruins because of it today. It doesn't matter how you got to where you are or how long you have been there. If you turn to Jesus, he can clean you up and bring beauty and restoration from the ruins. This man experienced the compassion, the love and action, the mercy of Jesus. That compassion and mercy is here today. Now, don't live off of mercy by planning to sow seeds and then cry out for mercy. Don't do that. That's dangerous, and that's how, not how it works. Access the mercy of God and get out of your situation and live set apart or separated or holy before God. Sow the right seeds. Enjoy the good harvest. Hebrews 12, 29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. The fire of his love and mercy will clean you up and enable you to live right. If you've been sowing the wrong seeds of any form of sexual immorality, repent. Acknowledge what you have been doing is wrong. Call it what it is. Call it sin. Call it wrong. Say, this is not how I'm supposed to live. Ask God to forgive you, and he will. Then receive the mercy and the fire of God. Get connected here at Faith to a community of believers who will help you live right. See, it's one thing. People make decisions to live right, and they make turnaround changes. But one thing is if you go back to the same community you were in without a support system, you'll probably fall. Not everybody does, but a lot of people do. So that means you've got to stay around believers who believe like you, who can keep you accountable. That if you miss church a couple weeks and call you, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. Where are you going? How are you doing? Can I pray for you? You've got to stay connected. We are not supposed to do this life by ourselves. You know, I told the first experience when we were talking about that message that Jesus lived life in a community. He lived life in a group. Even when he ascended into heaven, he handed the leadership over the church to a group. You're not supposed to do stuff by yourself as individuals. And Jesus himself had friends. 
had a community. The apostles were his friends. He also had more friends on top of that. Lazarus and his sisters, they were his friends. If Jesus had friends, what makes you think you're too spiritually mature to have friends? We're not supposed to do this by ourselves. One of the things about friends is who are close enough to you, they can check on you. And they can check you. You need to have someone who is so close to you that you can talk completely honest about anything that you don't want anybody to see the text message history you guys exchange. That you can talk to them, hey, I'm having a rough day. This is what's going on. This is an honest life fear. And they reply, okay, I get how you're feeling, but what are you going to do? You say, oh, I'm going to live the word. Say, hey, let me pray for you. You need to have someone so close to you that you can be honest with, who you know is not going to spread your business, but take it to Jesus and keep it between you and Jesus. But that only comes in community. That only comes living among a group. That you can be free, but if you want to stay free, you got to stay before God and you need to stay with your crew. You need to get connected. Understand this. This is not to make anyone feel guilty or feel condemned. Every believer has a past, but every sinner has a future. Don't stay in the ruins. Your past is not strong enough to determine your future. Make a decision how you're going to live. You know, what Moses did, he said, here's death, here's life. Pick one me today. Here's abundant life. Here's ruins. Pick one. Please choose life. Please choose a good harvest. It's up to you. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. You know, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially to support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.